Thank you very much, Sunday. It's uh, five and a half minutes past 12 right here on uh, SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. It's your Tuesday edition of uh, Midday Live, coming to you live and direct from our Auckland Park studios. We've just heard that uh, another SABC board member, Pippa Green, has resigned. Six members of the board, as well as uh, the chairperson and deputy, resigned earlier. Well, uh, the Minister of Communications, Dina Pula, is currently briefing the Portfolio Committee on Communications in Parliament about uh, the happenings at the SABC. You may have heard this morning former SABC board member Cedric Gina saying that a communications minister Dinapole has been unappreciative and unfair towards the board. We hope to talk to uh, the minister. Hopefully she'll be done um, during this hour so that we're then able to talk to her about that. And uh, the final outcome uh, of Zimbabwe's referendum on a new constitution is expected to be announced this afternoon. We'll be talking to our reporter Matlata Gallens shortly. But uh, preliminary results uh, uh, at the polling stations point to a landslide approval of uh, the new constitution. So that's the story that uh, we hope to have for you. We welcome your SMSs. 34701 is uh, our SMS line. It will cost you to rent. Otherwise, you can send us a tweet. Tweet us at B News. That's our Twitter handle, at B News. Otherwise, we do have one for SAFM Midday Live, at SAFM Midday Live. You can send us an email also, middaylive at sabc.co.za. National Police Commissioner General Ria Pierre has told the Marikana Commission of Inquiry that Police Minister Natim Teto was supportive throughout the unrest at Lonmin Platinum Mine in, the Marika, in Marikana last August. This uh, following uh, the evidence leader advocate Mbuiseli Mazanga's suggestion that uh, there was no intervention from the minister prior to the 16th of August in which uh, 10 people had already lost their lives. Let's talk now to our reporter, uh, that's Lizette Labuschakni. Good afternoon to you, Lizette. Good afternoon. Uh, talk us through what uh, General Pierre uh, told the Marikana Commission of Inquiry. Why did he have to tell to say that uh, the minister was supportive throughout the unrest there? In um, the statement that Pierre initially um, brought to the commission that was last week, there's only one mention of where she specifically spoke to Police Minister Nadim Tetwa about what had happened during Marikana. And this morning the question was, was actually, did the minister assist her in any way during the unfolding of this unrest? We know that by the 13th of August already five people were killed here at Marikana, two of them being police officials. And the question was specifically, that by the 13th at midnight that you call the minister, that you in any way communicate with him, did he give you any assistance on how to go forward and what you are supposed to be doing? And um, she said she can't remember if she specifically spoke to him before the end of that um, day, but that the minister in the normal briefing sessions that she had with him was aware of what was going on and that he gave her leadership and political assistance. And she was not willing to clarify exactly what this political assistance meant in um, practical terms, only saying that that was not her job to, to negotiate with politicians and that the minister assisted her in that way. Mm. And uh, on, on Thursday, the, the, the commission um, uh, was, was uh, stopped, was postponed, so that it starts today. And uh, we were expecting fireworks because teams uh, said they want to go and prepare properly for, for today. Have you seen any fireworks so far? Yes, we were also hoping that we would get more answers than just what Diecha has given us in her statement, which has been very short. And um, thus far, there hasn't been fireworks, I would call it. She has been very vague in most of the questions that she did answer. She is also very short. She doesn't elaborate on anything and would go back to standard answers on all the questions that is put to her. But uh, even as leaders have been quite strict on her, and we've just heard her being asked specifically if she was aware that only two of the police officials, the high-ranking police officials that briefed her about what had happened in Marikana, that only two of that large group were actually present um, during the Marikana shooting. And um, initially she told us that she was not aware that only two police officials were there, that the others were not even on the scene during the shooting. And um, she just contradicted herself saying that she was indeed aware that only the two were there and that the, the briefing was um, more, a more technical briefing. 
So Matlanka did tell her that she is contradicting herself and that if she can please explain why she is now saying that she was indeed aware of this fact if previously she was not. But um, Judge Ian Fallam has put a stop to that, saying that um, it was uh, unfair to the witness um, to, on- to ask her such questions. Mm. And the uh, advocate Madlanga is representing who? Advocate Madlanga is one of the evidence leaders that was appointed by the commission itself. Um, obviously, it is quite strange that he would open um, the cross-examination as previously um, the other advocates had um, opened cross-examination of witnesses with the evidence leaders being the last ones to, um, to cross-examine witnesses. And, um, but we did see on Thursday that Matlanga indicated that he would like to go first, even to such an extent that he and Advocate George Beasles um, had a bit of an altercation as to who should cross-examine the witness first. But this morning we did see Matlanga um, being the first one. And and um, apart from, from talking about the issues with the minister, he obviously would like to know if, if Piecha is fully informed of what had happened um, during this uh, Marikana unrest. And thus far, she seemed not to know much about the actual happenings there, um, going as far as saying she doesn't even know where scene one and scene two is, which we know is one of and the small copy. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see exactly in what detail she has been briefed on this matter and exactly what happened um, during August 16th. Mm. I'm just wondering, uh, I know uh, Advocate George Bezos, for instance, was not happy with uh, the line of questioning by uh, the, the police uh, defense there, Advocate uh, Semenya, and of course answers provided by uh, General Piecha on Thursday already. So we, we, we're expecting that uh, they will be warming up right now and, and really uh, wanting to, to ask her questions. Yeah, that's true. I mean, even um, this morning there were issues about what statement is the final statement um, that Piecha made. We know that she made a statement on the 7th of March and that a second statement was then given to the Commission and signed and dated the 12th of March. And even today she kept um, referring back to these statements and saying she doesn't know what is he referring to, that is Advocate Madlanga, is it in Statement 1 or is it in Statement 2? To such an extent that he told her at some stage that she must forget about the statements and not get confused about the paperwork in front of her, but as a witness she should be able to answer these questions without actually having to check her statement the entire time. And I think that will come up a lot. It looks like she she is um, counting on whatever is on paper, whatever is in the evidence already to guide her in terms of her answers, instead of answering the questions as it is put to her. And the question was raised that she should be able to answer a simple question as to what did she do on the 17th of August, that she called the minister, was he um, at Marikana at that time, without actually looking at her statements. And we know that Beatles were also unhappy when certain parts of the statement was just read and she didn't actually answer any questions on it. She just concurred that that is indeed the truth. So it will be interesting to see if she will be more spontaneous in the way she answers questions um, in the coming days. All right, uh, we thank you very much uh, to uh, our SABC journalist there, Lizette Labushkakmi, talking about uh, General Ruya Piecha taking to the stand at the Marikana Commission of Inquiry. It's 14 minutes past 12. Our top story this hour, the NPA has confirmed that a farm belonging to ex-ANC Youth League leader Julius Malema has been seized by the state. Looking at the markets at this hour, gold is trading at $1,602.30 an ounce. Platinum is trading at $1,576.50 an ounce. The rand is trading at 9 rands 20 to the US dollar, 13.90 to the pound and 11.90 to the euro. Have you tried booking accommodation online? Booking online means the best rates and widest selection, but which website can you trust? I found that TravelGround.com is the easiest way to find and book accommodation online. And with their great customer service, you can rest assured that you're in safe hands. So whether you need a hotel in Santon or a great little guest house in Franchuk, go online to www.TravelGround.com. TravelGround.com, the easiest way to find and book accommodation across South Africa. If you're a business person, you want to grow your profits. But what if you could combat climate change and save water at the same time? It's possible if you register for the Green in Your Business digital course offered by NetBank and Business Day. The course will help you cut costs as well as create newer, greener products. It's also free if you're one of the first 2,000 to sign up. So, take the first step. Register now at www.greeningyourbusiness.co.za.
15 minutes past 12. This is Midday Live, SAFM 104 to 107. The Department of Water Affairs and Energy has launched the National Water Week in Krill in Bumalanga. We'll be talking to the Minister of Water Affairs, Edna Molewa, just looking at a global view of water situation here in South Africa, but also looking at the aging infrastructure that we have. But for now, let's go to Zimbabwe, where the final outcome of that country's referendum on a new constitution is expected to be announced. This afternoon, preliminary results seen at polling stations pointed to a landslide approval of uh, the supreme law. However, with the referendum done, the focus now shifts to elections. Some have mooted a July election, while others say it will be disastrous to have uh, the election so soon. For more on this now, we joined on the line by our senior political reporter, Maslata Kalins. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Gengi. Results expected this afternoon. What can you tell us? We are expecting that the Zimbabwean Electoral Commission will release the results at 2.30 this afternoon. But as you've mentioned, we're expecting that the year's vote will actually win this referendum. If you remember, Bongi, there wasn't much of a contest in terms of the three main political parties. They had actually agreed on this constitution following um, three years or so of uh, negotiations and compromises before this referendum, they were urging their supporters to vote yes. It was only the civil society groups and some of the smaller political parties that were saying uh, they should vote no, uh, basically criticizing that it uh, still has a very powerful president, even though uh, the terms are, are now limited. And people complaining that people just did not have enough time to actually um, engage with that constitution. But from what we've seen from uh, results from various polling stations, we're expecting that uh, the year's vote will win. We, we understand also, uh, that the global political agreement that ushered uh, in a unity government officially expires in June. Now, uh, I'm sure ZANU-PF uh, can't wait for, for that moment. We've heard uh, uh, President Robert Mugabe saying that uh, it's, it's not functioning, it's not working, this uh, unity government. But uh, what does it mean? I think both sides actually would are gearing up for that election because it has been a rocky relationship in that which has been negotiating and overseeing the implementation of the global political agreement election to only go ahead under a constitution and officially that um, that government should end in June the day. All right. be necessary. But I think the crucial then will be now because there are certain Okay, but that's it. I'm going to ask you to just move around a little bit because now you are right at uh, at the height of what we want to hear about this global political agreement. You're breaking up a little bit. Let's see if you can, you can try again just just to explain really the meaning of uh, uh, the global political agreement coming to an end. No, Maslatse has uh, disappeared there, but uh, we'll, we'll try and go back to her. Uh, in the meantime, let's uh, speak to uh, Miss Lindy Wezulu. Uh, she's on the line for us here. She's the ANC, uh, NEC member, but also advisor to President Jacob Zuma on uh, uh, international relations. Good afternoon to you, Ms. Zulu. Good afternoon to you and good afternoon to all the South African listeners and SAFM listeners. Are you satisfied, first as South Africa, but also as uh, the, the, the leading member uh, uh, at SADC around the, the, this uh, global political agreement, satisfied at the outcome of, uh, in fact, the process of the referendum in Zimbabwe? Yes, we are satisfied with the process in particular because, as we have mentioned before, we, had, we went there a few days earlier to meet particularly with the three political parties to get uh, the, 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 the state of readiness. But more importantly, our meeting with the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission, which was responsible for conducting this referendum. In our visit also, we not only just met with those, we also went to some polling stations, including visiting police stations, because as you are all aware of the fact that usually there's always a complaint about the behavior of the police and so forth. So we were given an opportunity to just 
um, walk around and, and, and see and inspect for ourselves as far as the preparations are concerned. We were satisfied with what we saw on the ground. Okay. We were satisfied with the report that we got from the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission. As South Africa, but also as SADC, you were at the forefront of this global political agreement. We understand now it's coming to an end. It expires in June. Is it going to be extended? Is it going to stay? Maybe just in, so that it allows for preparations for, for the elections. From a side perspective, but also particularly from the facilitator's perspective, the time is very short for us to, to for them to prepare for the elections. However, because the, 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 the global political agreement comes to an end, we all need to pull our resources, pull uh, together, make sure that by the time it comes to an end, the elections would have had. Um, what we would also like to mention is the fact that it's not about the time really more than anything else. It's about the implementation of decisions that are taken that prepare uh, for the elections. To that effect, we are going back to Zimbabwe, for instance, uh, tomorrow to already start looking at uh, the development of a roadmap. And we must mention also the fact that in the past year, the negotiators did develop a roadmap to elections. We, however, feel that that uh, roadmap which they have needs to be picked up also taking into consideration that this uh, constitution, the new constitution would have been um, adopted and therefore there's a lot of work that needs to be done around legislative processes, but also there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in implementing some of the outstanding issues as far as the global political agreement is concerned. A lot of work to be done also to prepare the ground for, for the elections and uh, we are getting into the elect- election mode right now. We've just seen uh, or heard of uh, the arrest and the refusal uh, uh, to, to release some of uh, the MDC's uh, senior members there and that has a uh, potential really to taint uh, what has uh, been viewed uh, relatively as a peaceful uh, vote this weekend. Absolutely. We also feel uh, that, however, we will be receiving a report to understand what exactly has happened here. But we're also made to understand that the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Tanzania, who was leading the SADC uh, Observer Mission, has already had meetings with some of the officials there to get a proper understanding of what has happened here, because from where we sit, um, there was a very good uh, uh, environment for the referendum. There were very few, if any, incidents. There were very few incidences which were, were, were reported. However, those were very insignificant in as far as looking at the overall picture. And therefore, our focus as the facilitation team mandated by SADC will have to really uh, uh, have a critical eye, particularly on those issues of the creation of a conducive environment, the arrests that uh, keep on going on, the behavior of the, the conduct, rather, of uh, some of the police uh, to running up to us. But we think that when we develop the roadmap to elections, we will have to take a strong uh, consideration to what happened in 2008 that resulted in what in the situation Zimbabwe is ending itself in today and make sure that as the roadmap is being de- uh, developed, consideration has to be made to that and where do we need to close the gaps so that come uh, the election, the mm. environment has been created which is uh, conducive, but also at the end when the results of the elections are being uh, 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 read out, we should be able to say, and those who are going to be observing should be able to say that the elections were free, were fair, and the environment was conducive for those elections. That's going to be our focus. And all eyes now, as far as we are concerned, should be on that roadmap to elections. And, and uh, briefly, the, the issue of financial resources. We, we, we know that uh, the SADC and Zimbabwe in particular has been constrained by that. How are you going to work around that? Because uh, 800 million rand were, uh, dollars were needed, was needed, for instance, for the referendum, and uh, even much more for the elections. Well, we just uh, looking at that subject in its last Troika meeting. Already, that issue was raised, and uh, the heads of state who were present in that meeting said to each other, "They must find a way of supporting the system and and helping the process." We cannot, at this point in time, be able to say exactly this is where the money will come from. However, we have also made indications to Zimbabwe itself to say they really have to look deep within. Which, by the way, if you look at the referendum itself, they were they, they had indicated there wasn't going to be money, but 
They then look for the money within the country and they manage to find some, not all of it. And therefore, there has to be some discussion that will happen with the negotiators, with the principals, to say long before we get to the point of elections, we need to help each other find uh, the necessary resources to make sure that elections are, are, are held. What okay. I would also like to say is that uh, SADC has been very committed to the process. Uh, the principal, uh, our facilitator, uh, Comrade Jacob Zuma, has also called upon them to do the best they can to okay. assist in the situation. We cannot afford a Zimbabwe out of, uh, we cannot afford a different Zimbabwe, but we need a Zimbabwe that that's, uh, belongs to this uh, community of SADC. Okay. That is back to its normal. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, Lindy Wezulu is uh, President Jacob Zuma's special envoy to Zimbabwe, but also an uh, ANC NEC member here in South Africa. Let's go back to Matlatse Gallens. Matlatse, we were interrupted uh, rudely so by the line, I might add, but uh, uh, the, the situation on the ground, the mood really, just uh, talk us through that. You know, uh, there was at least uh, a sigh of relief by many that the referendum went off quite peacefully despite minor incidents. But uh, what happened then on Sunday with the arrest of uh, the prominent human rights lawyer, Beatrice Ntetua, this has again raised fears of trouble coming because uh, by Sunday, early hours of the morning, they had managed to get a high court order saying that she must be released immediately. But as we speak, she remains in police custody. We're expecting that she will appear in court sometime today. But um, all of those, of course, arrests um, by the police force and not respecting the law have kind of raised those fears that, ironically, there is this constitution that is supposed to guarantee respect for the rule of law, and already police are acting contrary to that. Has she been charged? Well, by uh, Sunday, uh, the police uh, spokesperson here, uh, Charity Charamba, was saying that she has been uh, charged with obstructing the course of justice. And from what we understand and from what she was saying is that uh, while they were uh, busy with a raid at one of... um, the Prime Minister Morgan Trangarai's advisor's home, she then arrived and she were, and basically the police are saying that she was interfering with work that they were doing and that's why she was arrested. She mentioned things like Ms. Charamba that she started shouting at the police officers uh, that were there. Uh, she was arrested and then she was moved from one police station to another. So it's not clear yet when she will be released at all. Let's go back to the global political agreement. We were still talking about that. Obviously, we've spoken to Ms. Lindy Wezulu about it and uh, giving us uh, that voice of authority there. But uh, what are you hearing from the parties themselves and what are you hearing uh, from the people on the ground? on the ground, they're hoping that an election does happen as soon as possible, but the hope is for a peaceful election. Remember the, uh, the memories of the bloody 2008 elections are still fresh in many Zimbabweans' minds, and that will be key for many of them, that the run-up to the election is peaceful, it is safe for all parties to actually campaign, uh, but also I think all political parties are eager also for an election, because it hasn't been easy in that unity uh, government, but uh, some are warning that you know uh, July date for an election might just be too soon uh, because there are a lot of things that still need to happen, and very much so uh, or key will be transforming the security forces to ensure that they actually respect the rule of law because they 've largely been seen to be partisan um, they 've been accused by civil society of harassment, arbitrary arrest, and all of those issues and I think people are worried that the first election is rushed and none of that happens, we could see some repeat of what we saw last time. Thank you very much uh, to our senior political reporter, Maslati Collins. Just uh, one uh, SMS here coming from AB in Gauteng saying that, hi guys, we have two million Zimbabweans here in South Africa, a good approval vote for the Freedom Charter. So just give them a photo state of uh, the charter and uh, let them uh, implement it. Uh, all the Zimbabweans will run back home. That's AB in Gauteng. And uh, shortly, a nice piece here put together by Pearl Makubane, the late world-renowned singer Miriam Makeba will be awarded with the prestigious Ubuntu honor this week. So we're looking forward to that. It's at 12.30 now, and it's time for the news headlines. We say good afternoon once again to Asanda Matsanyano with the headlines.
uh, of course, Nancy there. And uh, talking about water, we'll be talking to uh, Minister Edna Molewa shortly about uh, the department launching uh, the Water Week in Bumalangan Grove, but uh, many activities taking place across uh, the country today. And uh, the office of uh, the Chief Justice, uh, Judge Mohueng Mohueng, uh, says no major disruptions to judicial proceedings have been reported since uh, some magistrates embarked on a go-slow yesterday of a salary dispute. So we'll try and uh, keep you up to speed with that uh, particular story. But we welcome your SMS's 34701. Uh, my tweets are not behaving today. I'm trying to read some of your tweets, but I can't get through. So maybe just use 34701. That will help you a great deal. The state has closed its murder case against seven people, uh, rather public order police officers implicated in protester Andres Tatane's killing. The proceedings in Fuchsburg will resume on Friday when the defense is expected to call its witnesses. Investigators from police watchdog IPID have denied that they have threatened to lock up the accused police, uh, policemen's colleagues if they did not make incriminating statements against them. Tatane was beaten and shot dead allegedly by the accused policemen during a violent service delivery protest at Sitsoto municipality uh, municipal offices in Fixburg some two years ago. For more on this now, let's say good afternoon to our reporter, Deboho Litsaba. What came out uh, during the court proceedings uh, today? Deboho? Well, of course, court proceedings today lasted for about eight and eight minutes. We had expected that the state will continue to cross-examine uh, one of the investigators from IP, uh, who at that particular moment of the incident was uh, part of the investigating team. He was based in the Northern Cape, but of course, uh, this time around, Andrew Engas is now uh, acting head of IP in the KwaZulu-Natal. So the expectations were, the expectation was that there would be uh, some snippets of the video that we expected to be played, whereby the state was going to cross-examine him based on the information on the footage. But, of course, to everyone's surprise in the morning, uh, the state uh, said it has done with everything. And, then of course, the defense did not proceed with cross-examining uh, the state uh, witness. It, it is something that has also happened yesterday uh, about one of the officers who alleged in court that they were uh, threatened with arrest uh, Cavello uh, Murani yesterday. Uh, even Murani was not even uh, cross-examined by uh, the defense. So far, defense appears to be certified with how the case is uh, continuing at the present moment. And they said they still need to consult with the accused policemen so that they can uh, mount a strong uh, defense uh, on Friday. Mm. Just just clarify this IP uh, denying that they have threatened to lock up uh, the accused policemen's uh, colleagues if they did not make incriminating statements against them. Uh, just just uh, clarify that point for us, please. Yes, you recall that two years ago, uh, the, 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 the team of police officers was deployed to monitor the protest march in Fixbank. So some of the officers, obviously, they were there. They were asked, what is it that they have seen that led uh, to the killing of that time? So other officers, like uh, Morani, said, of course, he had seen uh, his colleagues wielding batons, but he did not see them uh, assaulting that at that particular moment. It was only when the video footage was played that they had seen their colleagues, but they could not, like, identify them uh, personally that so-and-so is the one who was involved because they were wearing visors on, on the head and those protective, uh, protective guests. They alleged that they were, in effect, forced by the investigators uh, from IT that if they don't make these incriminating confessions, of course, they will also face prosecution. They will not be suspect up until they have uh, written a uh, statement uh, that some of their colleagues indeed they were involved in the particular moment. They were also asked that why didn't they raise those particular moments? They say they were under duress at that particular moment. Hence, they even went as far as signing statements, knowing for the fact that they did not agree with the versions that were contained in the statement. So today, uh, no disruptions, no delays, as we saw yesterday, clerks arriving late because of uh, uh, the go-slow uh, go that uh, the magistrates are embarking upon. Yes, nothing was delayed. The delay, or the, the, the delay of Clark and Pepper uh, interpreter was not as a result of a ghost law. It was purely uh, a failure to arrange uh, reliable transport to attend to the proceedings. You recall that the regional magistrate himself, Heinfan uh, Nickerk, he told the court yesterday that he has taken an oath himself that he is not going to embark in anything that might 
uh, undermine the rule of law in the country. So even when the Fire Islam basing his colleagues, uh, reminding them about the LO that they have taken before uh, assuming their jobs uh, on the bench. Tebukholitsaba, our reporter there. Thank you very much. At 23 minutes to one, this is Midday Live on SFM, South Africa's news and information leader available for you. If you're listening for the first time, we are on 104 to 107. The inauguration mass for Pope Francis is currently underway in St. Peter's Square in Rome, marking the start of his papacy. Earlier, Francis toured the square in an open-topped vehicle, occasionally stopping to bless pilgrims behind the barriers. His homily called on global leaders and all people of the world to protect the weak and poor. Francis was elected by conclave of cardinals last week to take over from Benedict XVI, who became the first pontiff in 600 years to abdicate last month. Citing his age at 85, he said he could no longer continue in the post. The BBC's Luisa Baldini has the story from St. Peter's Square. Setting their differences aside, certainly in public anyway, the president of Argentina, Cristina Kirchner, was the first visiting dignitary met by the new pope. When he was Archbishop of Buenos Aires, they did not see eye to eye. For Argentines already living in Italy, the election of one of their own to the papacy is an exciting moment, even for those who have lost faith in the church. I'm here today and I didn't baptize my children because after I saw the, these things that are happening in the church, I didn't want my children to be baptized. But maybe if he does something, maybe I'm going to do that. We're proud, happy but proud, because he seems like a breath of fresh air. Pope Francis has not put a foot wrong so far. Indeed, his actions during these first few days could not have been better orchestrated by a PR expert. But his biographer Sergio Rubin, who knows him personally, says none of it is masterminded. I've known him for more than 20 years and he is exactly like that. There is no difference. Everyone who has met him in Argentina thinks that. I worked with him for more than a year and a half for the book I wrote. He would even call me on my birthday. Pope Francis will need more than personality and charm to resurrect global faith in the Catholic Church. And once he has been inaugurated, there is an expectation that he will need to get down to work. He has to tackle four challenges. The first is that there are not priests enough in the Catholic Church. The second is the role of the women in the Church who work already on many levels, but are never there where decisions are taken. The third issue is to have a new look on all the problems of sexuality, marriage, divorce, uh, homosexual and homosexual relationships. And the fourth uh, issue is to find new ways to make a progress in ecumenism towards the goal of a reunification of the Christian churches. And of course, uh, that report by the BBC there, it's uh, Luisana Baldini who put it together for us. South African employees are set to benefit from higher wage increases uh, than the rest of the world over the next 12 months. This, according to a recent survey by Grant Thornton, although this is a good news for workers, it's questionable whether this situation is sustainable given current global economic conditions. Amina Akram reports. According to the Grant Thornton's recent International Business Report, 68% of South African businesses will increase salaries in line with inflation, which is less than 6% at present. More than a quarter will increase salaries by more than that over the next year. Less than 5% of South African businesses will not increase pay. Ian Scott is managing partner at Grant Thornton, Cape Town. More structured labor market and labor legislation is having an impact um, on, on what businesses are able to do. One needs to give a cost of living adjustment to, to your employees to put them back in the same position they would have been. If there was no inflation at all in the country, then you don't need to give increases um, beyond um, incentives for good work or increases in productivity and you have a zero base. When you have inflation, you have you know, different forms of measuring it which might include more petrol and more medical aid and more food. Um, that's where things uh, distort. Sometimes uh, companies have been giving more than inflation and uh, over and above that, and then without uh, resultant 
productivity increases that can make um, the workforce or the, or the products that the company manufactures uncompetitive. The report states that by contrast to South Africa, a total of 18% of BRIC businesses and 21% of global businesses do not plan to offer any pay rise in the next 12 months. Only 15% of BRIC and 14% of global businesses will offer increases higher than inflation in the year ahead. But 26% of serving businesses are going to increase salaries by more than inflation. And if we contrast that to the other uh, BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, India and China, 18% of those businesses will not offer any pay increases. And there's also inflation in, in those countries. So South African businesses in general um, are giving more in increases, it would appear, um, despite inflation than BRIC, uh, BRIC countries. That can have consequences when economies are struggling. It could mean that businesses become more uncompetitive. But Scott wants that increases in wages do not reflect increase in productivity. He says the country needs to urgently increase productivity, which is far behind many other countries. The survey reveals that 58% of South African businesses report difficulties in recruiting skilled workers. When you are increasing um, your salaries uh, above inflation, one would hope that there would be some checks uh, against productivity to make sure that what you are producing keeps you competitive. I think the National Development Plan uh, covers all, all these aspects. Um, what, we, what we have is we have a lot of unemployed people. Um, we have a shortage of technical skills and technicians. Um, is to put back in place um, apprenticeships and the technical skills to take uh, school leavers and y y young donors coming out of the school system and to re-educate them. Grant Thornton says that almost 50% of South African businesses increased the number of employees which were hired over the past year compared to 15% that reported a drop in staff during 2012. This is in line with BRIC countries for which the percentages were 45 and 14% respectively. Gauteng saw increases with 48% of the province businesses increasing staff. This followed by Durban and Peter Marisberg at 47%. The Grand Thornton International Business Report assesses business owners' perception regarding a variety of factors that affect organizational growth. Well, there you have it. South African employees said to benefit from higher wages, in, uh, wage increases uh, than the rest of the world in the next uh, 12 months. What does this say then about uh, FDI? Is it sustainable? Well, let's see in the next 12 months what happens. Thanks to Amina Krum with uh, that report. And with that, we go to the dealing room and we say good afternoon to Sudhir Singh of Southfin Securities. How are the markets looking today, Sudhir? Well, Bungie global markets have opened mostly lower this morning, with the European stocks uh, falling for a third day ahead of Cyprus's vote on a $7.5 billion bank deposit levy needed to secure a bailout. Over on Wall Street, uh, stocks fell for a second uh, session last night, as issues in Europe provided the market with enough doubt for a much-anticipated pullback. Taking a look at uh, the U.S. stock futures this morning, however, it is pointing to a slight recovery later on this afternoon. Locally, we followed Asian markets slightly higher this morning. However, we tur turned uh, negative soon after, as one can expect risk appetite remains subdued until Cyprus's lawmakers vote tomorrow on the proposed bank deposit levy. Taking a look at our local indices, we've got the gold index, which is down 1%. Resource 10 index is down almost 2%. The industrial 25 index is down 0.3%. The financial index is up 0.7%. And overall, the market is down around 214 points, or half a percent, to 40,254. And uh, the stocks on the move today? On the upside, we have uh, City Lodge, which is up 2% uh, at 108 rands. Woolworths is up almost 2% at eight, uh, six, sorry, 69 rands and 90 cents. Standard Bank is up uh, almost 2% at 115 rands and 60 cents. Manpac is up uh, just over 1.5% at 31 rands and 30 cents. And on the downside, we have Richmond, which is down 3% at 74 rands and 90 cents. Bidvest is down just over 1% 1, 1 at 232 rands and 80 cents. Voshini is down half a percent at 110 rands and 40 cents. And lastly, we have Telcom, which is down just under half a percent at 13 rands and 70 cents. And uh, your latest market indicators? Currently, we have gold, which is trading at $1,602.30 an ounce. Platinum is at $1,576.50 an ounce. Brent crude is $108.90 per barrel. 
And finally, we have the rand, which is trading at nine rand ninety cents to the dollar. 13 rand 90 cents to the pound and 11 rand 90 cents to the euro. That's it from me, Bongi. We thank you very much, Sudhir Singh of Sasfin Securities. Finally, Juju's farm has been nationalized without compensation, writes Jackson Dolo there. Speaking of uh, uh, Jackson, where is this piece now? All right, it's disappeared, my piece, about uh, Michael Jackson and the paternity of uh, his uh, children. Uh, if you're an MJ uh, fan there, I will make you, I'll let you know what is happening with that. I never thought uh, that uh, paternity of uh, his children were ever in doubt, but I'll tell you about that shortly. It's at 13 minutes now to one. Negotiations have restarted at the United Nations for a comprehensive arms trade treaty that would regulate the transfer of arms and ammunitions in a market estimated at $70 billion annually. Attempts at reaching a consensus deal failed during the last round of negotiations in July when several countries, including the United States, Russia and China, requested more time to consider the accord. UN Secretary General General Ban Ki-moon has urged the final conference on the arms tra- trade treaty to conclude its work by March 28th. Sean Bryce Pierce reports. Progress can only be achieved if everyone, the 193 governments urged on by a vigorous civil society, agree. Agree to eradicate the trade of conventional weapons to regions where they could be used to violate human rights. Ban Ki-moon opened the conference. We have international standards regulating everything from T-shirts to toys to tomatoes. There are international regulations for furniture. That means there are common standards for the global trade in armchairs, but not the global trade in arms. This is a treaty that aims to better control the flow of weapons, from small arms to tanks to attack aircraft, and critically the munitions that make them so deadly. But some countries have been against the inclusion of ammunition, including the world's number one arms manufacturer, the United States. Civil society groups, including Anna MacDonald of Oxfam, are calling on governments to support a treaty that would have impact. We have to make sure there's a very clear threshold that where there's a very high chance that arms will be used to commit war crimes, including genocide, that there is an absolute prohibition on those transfers taking place. And we need to make sure that when governments are doing their risk assessment of whether there is a substantial risk that arms might be used in violations of human rights and humanitarian law, that that transfer also does not take place. MacDonald says a strong treaty could prevent future hotspots similar to those that have dominated the news headlines over the last two years. This treaty is not going to immediately be able to solve the the problems of of Syria clearly, but we would want to see this coming into being as a treaty that will stop the future Syrias, the future Malis, the future Libyas um, of those situations taking place because the vast stockpiling and amassing of weapons in situations where there is a clear risk of human rights violations is something that the treaty should be designed to address. Actor and activist Jimon Honsu, famous for roles in Amistad and Blood Diamond, has just returned from visiting communities plagued by illicit arms in South Sudan. I come here not as a movie star to speak of this, but I come here because I'm an African. I'm the son of Africa as well. And before I had to leave, before I left my country, I experienced a couple of uh, coup d'etats in my, co- my country. And the vivid memory of that, and being in South Sudan and seeing young boys and young girls reduced to, I don't even know what to call it, but we owe to ourselves to do something about this. Activists say one person dies every minute globally as a result of armed violence, while current estimates suggest that illicit arms in Central Africa alone could fuel hostilities there for another 30 years. Sherman Bryceby's SABC News, New York. Well, we were hoping to talk to Minister of Water uh, Affairs, Edna Molewa, uh, about uh, the Water Week being launched today. The campaign serves to reiterate the value of water, the need for its sustainable management, and the role water plays in eradicating poverty and uh, underdevelopment. Unfortunately, she is busy talking at that launch in Pumalanga, so we won't be able to talk to her.
The late world-renowned singer Miriam Makeba will be awarded with the prestigious Ubuntu honor this week on the eve of Human Rights Day. The Ubuntu honor, now in its seventh year, recognizes individuals who have distinguished themselves as an embodiment and champion of values that are consistent with the Ubuntu value system. It is a project of the National Heritage Council to harness this cultural value system as the common heritage of all. South Africans. Pearl Makubani compiled this report for us. Sporting her natural afro and no makeup, a true African beauty she was, Mageba never changed her image despite her superstar status. In the 1960s, she was the first artist from Africa to popularize African music around the world with songs like Pata Pata, which was first recorded in 1957 and released in the U.S. in 1967. She recorded and with the likes of Harry Belafonte, Paul Simon, Shuma Segela, and the list goes on. But this Grammy Award winner was not just a singer, she was also a civil rights activist. Using her voice as a weapon, her songs told of the pain and struggles of South Africa under the then apartheid government. This led to the South African government revoking her passport in 1960 and her citizenship and right to return in 1963. But that didn't stop her from talking and singing about the injustices of this country as she traveled around the world. Countries like Guinea, Belgium and Ghana came to her aid and issued her international passports so she could become the citizen of the world. Mageba held nine passports and was granted honorary citizen in ten countries. Her grandson, Lumumba Lee, says growing up in the U.S., he never really knew about the political situation in South Africa. He only found out that his grandmother was more than just a singer, but an activist through all the strangers she used to house in her home in Guinea. All we heard were all the different stories from the many students who would come and many people who were in the struggle, the comrades who today are very well uh, positioned to carry forth the legacy. Many of them, they used to call Mama Makeba's place the South African Embassy. Makeba only returned home as the apartheid system crumbled in 1990. On 16th October 1999, Miriam Makeba was nominated Goodwill Ambassador of the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. Other awards under her belt included the Otto Hahn Peace Medal in gold for outstanding services to peace and international understanding. And in 2004, Makeba was voted 38th in the top 100 great South Africans. Makeba died of a heart attack on the 9th of November 2008 after performing in a concert in Italy. Lee says Makeba was a pillar to the African continent. Here's a woman, respectively, a mother who really did all of this in just one lifetime. But her life was a merry-go-round, and within it there were the good times, the bad times, the turbulences. But she, she was ready for anything that came her way. And that's why we looked up to her as a very strong woman, a pillar to the family, a pillar to the continent as well. Legendary musician Mara Lowe says Mageba was more than a friend and a sister, but a mother who had great humility. Mama was a real mama. You know, there was nothing fake about Mama Mageba, which is what I loved about her. But I loved her humility. I loved Ubuntu back in Uma. She didn't carry herself in that thing. She's a superstar. She's Mama Africa. She's larger than life. Never. Malaika. You know, unfortunately, in this country, a lot of musicians are honored when they're dead and yeah. not when they're yes. alive. What can be done you know, to change that and to preserve the heritage and to let the people know while they're still here? First of all, at schools itself, that's where it should start. Part of the history should be talking about our icons. In this country, Mama was not appreciated in terms of performance because they didn't want to pay her they didn't value her 
that is the part that makes me very sad when I think of Mama. My people, my people, open your eyes. Honor and appreciation of local artists is something the National Heritage Council is trying to rectify. They have named Makeba as the recipient of the 2013 Ubuntu Honor. The council CEO, Sonabi says despite her death in 2008, Makeba's inspiring legacy endures as one of selfless sacrifice in the interest of others. Umama was rejected by her own country, yet embraced by the world. She took Africa to the world, and by doing what she could, she had to bring about change that would come. A fearless woman who said no. Enough is enough. If she was here, she would have spoken out against rape of women. She would have spoken out against abuse of children. Makeba will be honored at an official gala event at Gallagher Estate in Midrand this Wednesday. Pumakubane, SAPC News, Johannesburg. Lovely piece there, Pearl. Thank you very much. And just a one tweet, tweet here at Kuala Bay News coming from Charles Nkomo saying that I hope and pray Zimbabweans attain freedom they solely missed for so many years, but I'm skeptical about Mugabe's sincerity there. And on that story, uh, taking, uh, uh, taking a look at our top stories this hour, Zimbabwe Prime Minister Morgan Tsangrai has described as intimidation the arrest of four of his aides and a human rights lawyer in the run-up to general elections following the referendum vote Last weekend, Masata Collins is our senior reporter there. What happened then on Sunday with the arrest of uh, the prominent human rights lawyer Beatrice Ntetua, this has again raised fears of trouble coming because uh, by Sunday, 80 hours of the morning, they had managed to get a high court order saying that she must be released immediately. But as we speak, she remains in police custody. We're expecting that she will appear in court sometime today. And uh, the advisor to President Jacob Zuma on Zimbabwe issues, Lindwe Zulu, says that uh, the few incidents uh, reported during the weekend referendum vote were insignificant. From where we sit, um, there was a very good environment for the referendum. There were very few, if any, incidents which were reported. However, those were very insignificant in as far as looking at the overall picture. National Police Commissioner General Ruya Pieja has told the Marikana Commission of Inquiry that Police Minister Natim Tetra was supportive throughout the unrest at Lonmin Platinum Mine in Marikana last August. Our reporter Lizette Labuskakni. She was not willing to clarify exactly what this political assistance meant in um, practical terms, only saying that that was not her job. To, to negotiate with politicians and that the minister assisted her in that way. The team today is Tarazela Zamini, Nomalizo Mandela and Mabubu Luka. Senior producer Tabisa Tserema, technical producer Mark Prela, chief producer Buzi Lukoto and executive producers Busisiwe Chan and Oprah I'm back tomorrow for your midweek edition of Midday Live. Enjoy the rest of your listening.